And sometimes I find managers will see this thing as a conflict rather than an opportunity to help people communicate better with each other. Mm-hmm. And when they see the conflict, they try to manage the conflict. It's like, no, it's not a conflict. It's just the meeting of two different styles. And you need to finesse how that interface works. Don't treat it like a conflict that needs to be resolved. It's just a style matching that needs to be massaged, right? You need to give both sides tools that allow them to see the other side and work better together. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. If you've been listening to this podcast regularly, or if you know me well, you know I live a life and career aligned with my values, and I help others to do the same. Last weekend, I was out with a good friend. My leadership coach self can't help but ask my friends how their jobs are going. Work is such a big part of life and there's so much change going on right now for everyone. After a long discussion, my friend called me a career therapist. It was the best compliment ever. No, I'm not a real therapist, but I can help you find career clarity to give you clarity on what matters most. And that's why I've built the You Belong in the C-Suite group coaching program. In the six month program, I help you gain clarity on what matters most, create the action plan to get there, to reach career fulfillment and lead as your authentic self. Here's what some of the program participants are saying. Because of this program, I've been more intentional about understanding my values and aligning my professional and personal life according to what I value most. I've also taken the time to deeply reflect on how I wanna show up as a leader. This program has shown me that it's okay to make decisions that are truly in my best interests. I know that if I'm 100% true to myself, I can lead in more powerful and impactful ways. Another participant said, participating in this program helped me gain the clarity I needed on what was most important to me in my career. The exercises, reflections, and conversations with supported women have helped me to make a career change that I would not have otherwise made. The structured framework coupled with the dynamic dialogue allows for personalized experience in a group setting, best of both worlds. If you are a high achieving woman and want more fulfillment in your work, learn more at thecatchgroup.com. Apply to You Belong in the C-Suite Group Coaching Program now. Welcome to this week's episode of the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You know that I love feedback and we recently asked for your feedback. We launched a survey to understand what types of guests you wanted on the podcast for this season. And you told us to bring more examples of leaders and leadership styles within organizations. So today we're doing just that. We're excited to highlight my conversation with William Adams. William is an award-winning D&I innovator, engineering trailblazer, 
and philanthropist. He was named the first technical advisor to Microsoft's chief technology officer, Kevin Scott. We talked about what it's like being an entrepreneur in a big organization, the importance of active listening, and how William reframes situations through his leadership style. I can't wait for you to hear this discussion and learn about his approach. Let's get started. Well, I would love to welcome you to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Welcome, William. How are you today? I am fine. How are you? I'm doing really well. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And as we get started, can you please introduce yourself to the audience and give us your story? Uh, Sure. My name is William Adams. And uh, currently, I'm a a longtime Microsoft executive kind of person. I've been there for 24 years. Um, But I grew up in a little tiny city called Placentia, which is on the northern border of Anaheim in California. So I, I grew up watching Disneyland fireworks over the horizon. Um, and singing Mickey Mouse songs. I went to UC Berkeley. I started a company with my brother back when Apple Mac was young, so 1984. And we ran our business for about 12 years. And then I I wandered off to a company called B and I worked with a thing called Next and we did Talogen, all all these random things that are very unknown in the computer industry. And eventually I landed at Microsoft in 1998. Uh, And I've been there ever since doing all sorts of uh, wild and wonderful things from technology uh, to transforming the way we hire people. I love it. And your current role is an interesting one and it's very unique. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Sure. We have a, it's not an official title, but we have uh, this, this title known as a technical advisor. And it starts with our CTO, Kevin Scott. And um, that role is essentially to look across the company, look across the industry and give a forward look, like where are we we going? What do we need to look out for? What are the technological trends? So you're doing some analysis, some synthesis and uh, trying to help the company um, move forward, basically. I helped set up that office a couple of years ago and have since you you kind of carry the title with you uh, wherever you go. So as I move to other parts of the company, you carry the entrepreneurship spirit with you. And what I currently do is help our Azure product line do better as an organization. And so it's not about the product specifically, it's about the organization, how we bring people in, how we mentor them, how we grow their careers, um, how we make people more effective, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's that's the technical advisor is just a it's it's kind of a I would say tenured role where the company has recognized you as someone who's just really good at stuff and they just throw all sorts of problems at us or we just go off and pick problems of our own like I'm gonna go put us into Africa because we need to be there and we're not there uh, so it's like that. And is that something that you feel like you've done throughout your career, this um, entrepreneurship, intrapreneurship, or is it something that you've picked up along the way at Microsoft? Well, when I started out, as I mentioned before, my brother and I had a company of our own. So I was pretty young. So I was in my 20, early 20s, you know, still college age when that started. And that went for, I don't know, a decade, decade and a half. So I've always had the, the entrepreneurial spirit within me and I've always acted on it. Joining Microsoft was a bit different because it's a 
giant organization. You know, I was not the head of engineering like in my own company. I was just a cog in the wheel. But I've always carried my entrepreneurial spirit into um, Microsoft. And even from the beginning, I was always pushing hey, let's do this differently. Let's be more nimble. Let's, you know, I didn't just sink in and say, all right, I'm just a cog in the wheel and let me just crank it out for the next 20 years. It's like, I've always kept my uh, entrepreneurial spirit and I just figured out how to make that effective within a giant organization, which is many times largely designed against entrepreneurship right? It's more status quo is is the thing that usually allows you to survive in a mega corporation. It's true. And what what have you found works? What's the secret to being an entrepreneur at a huge organization? I think there's a combination of things. Uh, First and foremost is probably that you have to be good at your craft, whatever your craft is, whether that's sales, marketing, communications, being a, a coder, whatever. You need to be good at that because you need to have credibility in whatever it is that you do. Uh, and that does not mean that you have to be in uh, Microsoft, you know, we're, we're a company of engineers, but that doesn't mean that the top people are engineers. I mean, some of our best people are salespeople, not engineers. So, um, but you have to be good at whatever your craft is. That's first and foremost. People have to see that uh, and have credibility. You have to be connected. You have to uh, have a network. You have to have a network that's pretty broad across uh, multiple disciplines and different parts of the company, and not just insular. Like, I'm the king of my little tiny kingdom. It's like, well, that's great, but those people over there in the next kingdom don't know anything about you, so you have no credibility with them. So uh, as early and as often as possible, I work on building my network you know, just people I know uh, and know of my work and and friends and family, essentially. Uh, Those are two keys. And then you have to have a good, I would say, vision of where you're trying to go, what you think, and recognize that your ideas are as good as anyone else's, you know, so you have to have a self-conviction. And it's not just a Oh, I believe in myself. It's, It's, you truly have to have an understanding of the business what the business is about and what you believe should be happening for the business at whatever level you're at, right? It doesn't mean that I have to put myself at our CEO's position and think of it like that. Uh, Just whatever level you're at, you have to understand your business and believe that your ideas for where the business should go are as valid as anybody else's. So um, I think those are the, the underpinnings. And then from there, you have to be bold <laughs> and you have to be able to say, I believe that should happen and put together the plan to make that happen, whatever it is. I mentioned uh, Africa. I know there's a long story, but uh, Africa is, is a place where we, I looked at my, my the badge I have, my uh, employee badge, and it says, empower every person on the planet to achieve more this is our mission. And I looked at Africa and I thought, well, we don't have any engineering there. So how are we helping those people achieve more if we're not doing any engineering that's specific to them? And so we just decided that it was, we need to go to Africa. We need to set up engineering in Africa. And so that's what I did. And I just said uh, to my boss at the time, who was Kevin Scott, the uh, CTO, I believe we need to go to Africa. I'm not asking anything from you. Just don't say no. (laughs) And 
He said, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> and so away we went. So I had to have the conviction and the courage enough to say, I can make this happen. Halfway around the world, I can set up an engineering organization. And we did. And now it has grown. And now there's a few hundred engineers there. And now as a company, we're like, yes, we need Africa. We all in for Africa, you know. Um, so you had to be bold enough and just go for something and, and not be afraid that it's a career limiting move or, or whatever. Right. Uh, so that's been my formula. I love that. Thank you so much um, for breaking that down for us. I love the, the be bold and the differentiation of that you just had of confidence versus conviction. I yeah. really like that. Yeah. Conviction is, is a, a strong part, I think. Yeah, that's great. So what would you say is your leadership philosophy? Yeah, I thought about this. And, and from my early days in the first team I joined at Microsoft, I read this book and it was um, called Journey to the Ants. And it's, a, it's just a story of how ant colonies operate, uh, which is very uh, different than the way human colonies operate. You know, um, you would think, oh, the ants are driven by the queen. It's like, no, not at all. They're driven by cooperation for the most part. Mm-hmm. And they will do things like if they're coming out of their, their little um, nest and there's trash in the front of the nest and they see it, they'll just pick it up and move it, right? And if there's enough ants doing that, then other ants will go off and forage or whatever, right? And if no ants are doing it, then some ant will come out and they'll pick up the trash and move it. So they just do whatever's necessary um, with loose signaling between each other, but they have an underlying um, they have an underlying mission, which is the thriving of the hive. Mm. right or the nest and that's built into their dna it's a survival of the nest is the paramount thing so what i took from that was two things one is that you need to have a, a directive that's pretty strong so throughout my career i've always focused on vision mission strategy tactics you know being very clear about what's our what's the vision when i look out into the future what do i see right and then backing off from that mission, it's more details like, all right, if that's where we're headed, what are we going to do to achieve that, right? The mission. And these two get mixed up a lot, vision and mission, but this is how I break it down. A vision is a one sentence sort of thing, or uh, a mission might be a paragraph. Strategy and tactics are, all right, that's our mission. How are we going to go about achieving it in uh, practical terms? You know, we're going to ship this product and we're going to go to this, uh, this competition or whatever, you know, strategic moves. And then there's tactics, which is, okay, how are we going to ship that product? You know, how are we going to project manage? You know, are we going to do scrum? Are we going to do, do we do architecture front? Are we agile? What, you know, those are very tactical things. And I find that um, my management philosophy is about instilling that stacks, vision, mission, strategy, tactics, first of all, for any group of people, to show them clearly, this is our vision, this is our mission, this is what we're about. And then after that, it's about letting the people do what they're good at doing. I don't try to micromanage because then why did I hire you, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's no point in me trying to do all your work. So I'm not the kind of guy who's up 24-7 counter-checking everybody's work because then I've failed as a leader to hire the right people, Right. So I hire the right people, I instill them with the proper uh, vision and mission, and then I assume they're adults and they're going to be able to achieve their job. 
right? So I let them do their job. And I act primarily as the, what do we call this? A, a servant leader, if you will, right? Where it's like, how, do, how can I serve you? How can I make you um, achieve your job better? But the last part of it, and it's still part of that philosophy is holding people accountable, including myself, right? I'm accountable for creating a good environment for people, having a strong vision and mission, getting the resources necessary, doing blocking and tackling so people can actually do their jobs. You know, these are my responsibilities. Your responsibility as an employee is to do what you said you were going to do, mm -hmm. right? I will oftentimes, I mean, with software, you can imagine how this goes. I will oftentimes ask someone, okay, so what's the feature set? I don't, I'm not going to tell you what the feature set is. You know, you tell me, <laughs> go figure out what it is, you know, with the customer, whatever. And you tell me when you're going to ship it. And I'm going to make you stick to that. <laughs> I'm not going to force you to, to stick to my schedule. I'm going to hold you accountable for sticking to your own schedule that you created, right? Um, and at the same time, I'm going to be understanding because I know software it never ships on time. So I'm going to understand, but I'm going to hold you accountable and let you tell me when we need to drop a feature or whatever. It's your responsibility because I gave you that freedom, but I'm going to hold you responsible for sticking to it, right? Mm -hmm. So my whole philosophy is that it's it's going back to the ants. It's about independent activity because it's very efficient that way. But when you set the goal and be very crystal clear about that, it allows people to go off and do what they're supposed to do. If you don't set a clear goal up front and it's all tactical, then they do the tactics. And when those tactics, they don't know why they're doing the tactics. They're just doing those tactics. And then it's like, well, that's not working because the customers say they don't even like the features. You don't even know what to do at that point, right? Because you're very tactical. So my responsibility is to say, no, here's how those tactical moves relate to this vision. And if this vision changes, the tactics should change, but the tactics should not change the vision, right? So it's my responsibility to make sure that that um, thought hierarchy is maintained uh, so that the group can be most efficient and not you know, get scared every time a shadow passes over, <laughs> right? Or competition comes or whatever. I love that. And um, I love the example that you gave um, with the ant colony and this idea of connection to both vision and mission, because if I'm doing the tactics, because most of us are doing the tactics, right? Yep. Most of your team is going to be doing the tactics. And if I'm not connected to that, then, or if I don't have all the context, then I'm not going to give you my discretionary effort. I might not trust you. I might question you, um, but it really builds the trust and the connection between what my work is and the mission for the whole organization or the team or whatever level. Right. And there's there, one more thing that I do from a management philosophy. Perhaps it's not the philosophy, but no, it is, is, is about the people. And I believe that because what spurred me is that you said trust. I believe that um, as a manager, if people trust me, that's the best relationship to have. Now, that's not to say that I'm their best friend because, you know, I'm their manager and I'm in a position where I am in, responsible for their career and various other things. So it's hard to be like, hey, good buddy, you're fired. You know, I mean, it's, that's, that's a hard position to be in. So it's not about that, but it is about trust. And uh, when I have one-on-ones with people, for example, I never use one-on-ones as like status meetings, unless that's what people want to do, because it's like, well, I don't, 
don't need a one-on-one for that. We have meetings for status, right? So what I do in, in a one-on-one situation, it's, it's about their time. And, and I just try to listen and allow them to feel that I'm empathetic because sometimes people just want to talk about it's like, hey, uh, my husband's an alcoholic. I'm having a hard time with life right now. And I'm not their therapist, but they want to, that's what they want to talk about. And I want to give them the space so that they can talk about it. And I can just say, it's okay for you to be who you are. I, I recognize that you have challenges in life, you know, and if we can, to the extent that I can help you deal with those challenges, that's going to put you in a position to be able to work when you're at work. Yes. And I, rec- I recommend you get a therapist if that's what you need. I'm not your therapist, um, but certainly I'm someone you can trust to uh, allow you to be your authentic self, if you will. And then you'll feel, you'll trust me. And so when I tell you, when I give you feedback, this is the ma- management philosophy, when I give you feedback that says, you know what, you're really doing a great job or you're really not doing a great job, you trust that I'm authentic mm. because we have a trust relationship and you'll hear it and you'll absorb it. If we don't have a trust relationship and I just kind of say, oh, you're not doing a good job. It's like, well, how do I trust what you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you haven't given me, I don't know who you are really. So I don't know if I can trust what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know what motivates you or anything like that. So I build trust relationships is the most important thing from a management philosophy, because then we have a better dialogue and the team operates more efficiently, right? Yeah. So many things I loved about what you just said, this idea of authenticity, about servant leadership, and then how you let people just be who they are and you're listening, this idea of listening. um, Can you tell me more about listening in an organization? I feel like this is a a really big differentiator to build trust, but then also of, of sometimes just really great managers and not so great managers. How has listening helped you and how do you think it helps others? Yeah, listening is, and this is something that we should um, probably be very clear about um, the difference between uh, listening and hearing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I'm not sure which one I want to say is which, but there is a difference between, you know, vibrations hitting your eardrums and you going, uh-huh, 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 and truly um, understanding what someone is telling you and seeking seeking the unsaid, reading the body language, particularly because we're all on video now, trying to read the body language, uh, seeing the unsaid, and trying to build empathy, you know, and this is the difference between those two. Like, and I'll just give a practical example. You know, there's there's the manager who's like, oh, the person comes into them and they're talking, you know, they're saying whatever they're saying, and the manager's going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And what the manager's thinking is, how do I move you on to the next thing? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the employee's trying to trying to work out something and they're looking for some feedback and and the manager's like yeah yeah and they're reflecting you know they're doing all the right stuff that it tells you to do and then as an active listener right I say yeah tell me more how did you feel you know they're doing all the active listening stuff but they're not really listening (laughs) right they're reading the script and then they're going okay uh end of sentence now try to move them to the next subject (laughs) you know it's like no they're trying to express something to you. And if you truly hear them, you'll understand what they're trying to say to you, right? What they're trying to tell you is they're burning out. 
Yeah. All those words that they said about the difficulty of this, that, and the other thing, and, and the kids are in the school, and, you know, COVID's got them down, and blah, blah, blah. They're on the verge of burning out. Listen to that. And you should respond to that and not just go, oh, yeah, wow, that, that sounds like really tough. Gee, I hope you get help for that. You know, it's like, listen to what they're trying to tell you, because that's a precursor to what's actually going to happen. Yes. Right? If you don't listen, three weeks from now, they're going to come back and say, I need to take an extended vacation. Well, why? Because I'm burned out, yo. <laughs> you, know? you didn't listen to me. I've been talking to you for three months about this and you didn't listen. So, you know, I think listening is um, for humans. The whole point of a lot of it is just to be able to build empathy uh, so that you can understand the situation. Now, and I say empathy, I don't say sympathy. You know, I don't need you to be down in the mud with them. Right. But you need to understand that they're down in the mud. <laughs> right. And you can understand what it means to be down in the mud so that you can possibly help them, you know, move forward. No, I love that. Um, thank you for giving those specific examples. And I think you're right. It's I'll, I think even sometimes if you are practicing active listening, that's a great place to be. But like you said, you might still not actually be listening for resolution or as a servant leader. Um, And some people aren't even practicing active listening. They're just thinking about the next thing they're going to say in their mind while somebody else is talking. Right. (laughs) So I think there's, there's variations of where people are. And you gave a really great example of how you create the space for listening within your one-on-ones. You let the employee own it. You're there. It's their time you're, you're listening to them, you're creating that space, what other things can leaders do to become better active listeners? There's one thing that we do in my team, which is as, um, as soon as this pandemic started, for example, we set up a daily meeting. Uh, We meet every, my team is small, but we meet every meeting 1030 a.m. And it's a, it's just a, it's a time to be human. And we talk about anything in the very beginning, because this team was relatively new. But in the very beginning, we did things like play Trivial Pursuit and various other online games that you can do in Zoom calls and whatnot, team calls. And uh, we just got to know each other. And over time, uh, we stopped playing games. And this was also during the time of like George Floyd was going on and, you know, people are unhappy about the president being impeached. Just a lot of stuff was happening at that time. And we would just get together as humans, you know, to try to to understand each other more, right? So if there's one thing leaders can do, you know, is really those connection points with the team going to lunch, you know. And I don't mean the kind where it's like, oh, the admin has arranged a gigantic lunch and I'm going to be there for like two seconds while you guys have lunch. It's like, no, go to lunch with them with the intent as if these were a bunch of people you were meeting at your wedding. You know, it's just you need to connect. So listening is certainly a big one. Connecting personally with people. And of course, like I said before, there's this this distance because you're typically their manager. But connecting people on a on a personal level, uh, I think, is important. And one other thing is and this has to do with what's typically called the the D&I. Uh, space is to look for 
qualities in people from various different kinds of backgrounds and perspectives and, and whatnot. And I'm not saying uh, race or gender or anything like that. I'm talking about accepting different uh, perspectives, right? Those different perspectives oftentimes come from different socioeconomic stratus, uh, which so happens to be aligned with race and various other things. But really, for me, it's about having a mind that's open enough and pliable enough that you can accept people coming from a different background. This will make a stronger team, right? Uh, if you get all one kind of one, a monoculture, I don't care what slice you take of this, monocultures are not good. It's much better if you can mix it up, right? So other things that a manager can do is make sure that your team is mixed up, right? Mm -hmm. I don't mean confused. I mean, <laughs> has different kinds of people in it with different kinds of backgrounds, because then you're going to have in that meeting when you're brainstorming, it's like, oh, we could do this and this is, then the one person's over in the corner going, you know, from where I come from, <laughs> that would be horrible this is what would be really cool for us. And then everyone can go, hmm. And then you can incorporate different kinds of ideas instead of everyone going, yes, it should be blue. And they never test it with anyone who hasn't ever seen blue, <laughs> right? They don't test with colorblind people. So, you know, I think uh, uh, another thing that a leader can do is make sure that their environment is very accepting of different uh, influences and different perspectives, right? And supporting those voices that are typically not super strong in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And how, how else in your career have you tried to do that um, to support other voices that are not very strong in the room, especially in tech, right? I can imagine yeah. um, that that's even, that's just very different from where I, my background is and, um, and other corporate places and consumer packaged goods. Um, but what is that like in tech and how do you do that? Um, for me, it's very, uh, it's very active engagement. So I'll, if I'm in a meeting, for example, if I'm leading a meeting, or even, actually it doesn't matter if I'm a leader or not, if I'm in a meeting and it's a conversation amongst people, uh, I will actively try to steer towards people who are not heard because mm -hmm. I'm reading the room. And I, and of course I know the people who are there. Or even if I don't, you can tell when someone has something to say, but they're not getting a chance to say it, mm -hmm. right? And it's particularly horrible in tech because we have lots of both introverts and extroverts. And the extroverts are sitting in the back of the room or at the gallery, you know, on the sides. And they're, they're like this, right? Close body language. And the extroverts are all at the table leaning in, you know, they're Da, 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 and they're writing on the whiteboard. And, and you would think that, oh, those must be the smartest people in the room. It's like, not necessarily, right? Perhaps the smartest person in the room isn't even in the room, first of all. <laughs> right. Did they get invited? They may not have been invited. And otherwise, they're in the gallery. And the gallery is like, I don't know, you know, I'm just, I don't know. So I will actively say, you know, that's great. Thank you. Lucy, what do you think, <laughs> you know? And there's an art to not calling people out, but bringing them into the conversation. And I'll lead them in by saying, um, Lucy, I know that you've been working on such and such. That seems to be what John's talking about. Do you have an opinion about this? I'll bring them into the conversation. Because if you just say, Lucy, what do you think? 
Yeah. She <laughs> might headlights. Yeah. Especially like you said, especially if she's an introvert. So I love yeah. this idea of I'm an introvert, right? So I I'm processing. I'm the person in the back. That's like, that looks like they may not have anything to say, but I'm just like scanning the room. Yeah. I'm listening. I'm processing. Right. And I'm, and I'm trying to figure out what's the right question to ask and those kinds of things. And, yeah. and then they've already moved on and then they move on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, I miss my chance often. Um, right. Or sometimes I just, I get, I check out because I'm tired of seeing all the extroverts battle for air. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, it's like, ah, I don't want to get into it. You guys seem yeah. like you are having fun. So <laughs> yeah, I, I actively try to draw yeah. people in and there's always, there's always someone who's sucking all the oxygen out of the room and I will actively try to not put them down, but, you know, I will use hand signals, <laughs> to, you know, slow them down. I use body language to slow them down and other language that's respectful, but tries to slow them down so that other people have a chance to operate. Right. Yeah. I love those frames of reference of bringing in somebody as opposed to calling them out right? and then slowing somebody down as opposed to cutting them off. Yeah. And you can slow somebody down by saying, wow, John, that's a lot of good input. Maybe um, we can go deeper into that later. Yeah. How about, I'd like to hear what Lucy has to say. Right. And these are all things that I don't know. I'm sure you can find these these guides in a in a book or something that says, but this is how I've come to these things naturally. Right. It's like I'm an introvert. And but I, I'm uh I operate in an extrovert's world. So I've learned how to cope with that and um not be shy about things. Uh introvert and shy don't necessarily are not necessarily equal, but I tended to be really shy. <laughs> right. So I've learned, I've forced myself to not be that way because I had to interact with these kind of people. Can I give you one more story on introvert extrovert? I'd love, I think that's yeah. kind of an, I had this one team where we were um, tasked with creating a new, new, new features of a language uh, that was really daunting at the time. This was probably in 2000, 2004 or five. And the, my boss came to me and said, Okay, you can you can create your dream team. So I picked six of our best people in our group. I had a group of 64. I picked six and I said, all right, we're gonna work on this thing. And I had two guys. One, his name was Herman, very much an introvert, you know, brilliant language developer, uh, meaning compilers, you know, software compilers. And there's this other guy named Eric, and another brilliant mind, and he has you know, this big feature thing that he's, Eric, an extreme extrovert, you know, everything is like, let's get on the whiteboard, let's talk, 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 you know, let's do it together, and Herman, very much, Herman, sounds like hermit crap, very much in his office, close the door, please don't bother me, I'm thinking, I'm doing, you know, these two guys, the problem is they had to work uh, extremely together, both of them came to me. Eric came to me, Mr. Extrovert. It's like, oh, Herman's always closed. You know, he doesn't want to talk and blah, 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 blah. And Herman, ah, oh, Eric, he's always in my office. He won't leave me alone. I can't think, you know. And what I did, so I listened to both of them separately. And I just told them, it's like, look, he's saying this about you. You're saying this about him. Um, you both need to understand that these are two different ways of operating and we need to come together every once in a while 
in this way that accommodates both, right? Yeah. And from that point on, it got better because Eric was expecting everyone's an extrovert like me. And Herman's thinking, well, everyone's an introvert like me. <laughs> and I just pointed out, it's like, no, you're you're both extremes, <laughs> you know, and you have to meet somewhere in the middle. And here's how we can do that, right? And sometimes I find um, managers will see this thing as a conflict rather than an opportunity to help people communicate better with each other. Mm-hmm. And when they see the conflict, they try to manage the conflict. It's like, no, it's not a conflict. It's just the meeting of two different styles. And you need to finesse how that interface works. Don't treat it like a conflict that needs to be resolved. It's just a style matching that needs to be massaged, right? You need to give both sides tools that allow them to see the other side and work better together. Um, so that's one thing that I, I find is very useful is to help manage the site. Everything does not need to be managed as a conflict. Things can yet, if you really recognize what the challenge is in the situation, you'll apply different sets of tools, right? I love that. And thanks for sharing that story. That's a that's a powerful one, especially this reframe. I think I feel like you've been giving us so many great reframes. Like reframe. Yeah, reframe. Yeah. I learn that word someday. Yeah, reframe. <laughs> Reframing of conflict to, you know, how can we just better communicate? Right. Yeah. And flex our styles. That's awesome. Well, William, I have just so enjoyed talking to you and I'm just really excited um, for others to connect with you and learn more about you. And where's the best place for us to do that? Um, I have a small digital presence on the internet, william-a-adams.com. Has some links to other things like LinkedIn and Twitter and and whatnot. Um, That's probably the best uh, way to connect with me. Awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Just thank you so much for your wisdom and your sharing your experience here today. And this is going to be so beneficial to everybody listening. And I really appreciate being connected to you. Yay. Thank you. That was very enjoyable for me too. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care.